as well. It's not every day that a bishop comes to Arena Church. He's a proper one. He'll explain a bit about that. <laughs> you know, he, he's not got it off a domain site on the web. He is a proper one. All right, you know, so, so, so he'll explain a bit about that tonight. Now, I'm an absolute born pessimist with regard to England, but I really feel good about this afternoon. And here's, here's the logic behind all this, okay? I'm glad we won 1-0 the other day, and I'm glad we came second, because if we'd have won 4 or 5-0, then the goals that went in on Wednesday wouldn't have gone in today. So, Rooney hitting the post on Wednesday, top corner today. Gerard, great save by the keeper. Bomb corner today. I'm really pumped. No penalties, no extra time. 2 0, 6 o'clock, Sunday at 6. Come on. And don't hold me to it, okay? Now, you'll all be thinking of me at 3 o'clock because I am leading a church service at Bosworth Street, Mansfield. I am going to be in glorious ignorance for an hour and 20 minutes while we do this service. And it's probably the right place for me to be rather than jumping up and down off the seat and making a fool of myself. But that's another story. Praise the Lord. Acts 40, uh, Psalm 42. Psalm 42. I want to read the psalm and uh, then we'll share some thoughts from it this morning, friends. And I believe that if we'll have an open heart, God will just speak to us. These will be the words that are familiar to many of you. Of course, the first couple of verses of the psalm have been put to a great old song that we've sung many times in church over the years. As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul how I used to go with the multitude leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanks amongst the festive throng why are you downcast O my soul why are you disturbed within me put your hope in God for yet I will praise him my God and savior my soul is downcast within me therefore I will remember you from the land of Jordan from the heights of Hermon from Mount Mizar Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast on my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my God and Saviour. I want to speak this morning, friends, for a few moments on a message entitled, The Hope of All Hearts. It's a little phrase, hopefully I'll deal with it a little bit better at the end of this service than the last one, that's very precious to Sharon and me. And we'll come to that a little bit later on. But on Thursday morning, as I hit my desk, I was pretty confident of the word that God had got for us this particular Sunday morning. We're just in a little window following the conclusion of our Arena DNA series and by the way we will commit that to print. There will be folders available on the resource hub because it wasn't just a series of messages, it was defining increasingly what Arena Church is all about and you can have those to peruse and read at your leisure as we go into the future. Eric ministered on the blessing of relationships as Christians already mentioned. It was really good to have 
uh, Van with us last week, and just a, a, a gracious uh, man with a, a strong prophetic gift. And uh, so it, it's me this week, and uh, it, it's a one-off. And uh, as I say, I was uh, I was pretty sure where we were going to go. And then Thursday morning, things began to shift in my heart and spirit. It played through. Thursday afternoon after I'd had an hour with Christian and sort of got concluded into Thursday evening. I thought, I'll strike while the iron's hot. And sometimes those of you that get a word ready know you've got to go with it when it's stirring within you. And so Psalm 42, because this morning, friends, in the, in the, the time that we've got, I want really afresh to encourage us with that great uh, expression of hope to the Lord. Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 are thought by some, some Bible commentators originally to have been one psalm. Even if they aren't, they carry one common theme, and that is hope in a despairing situation. It's not been a great week for us, has it? Leaving the World Cup aside, which we're just managing by the fingertips to stay in. We've had the budget, friends, that has brought to light the astronomical national debt that we all are impacted by. And Chancellor Osborne uh, gave the speech in the House of Commons on Tuesday and we realised that actually it will affect all of us. From January next year, you're going to pay 20% VAT on everything that you buy, which is quite a jump from where we are at this particular time. Uh, It's almost certain that for people like me, that thought they might retire at 65, they're now going to have to go to 66. I was thinking, actually, during the, uh, between the services, that God willing, if I'm still in the arena church, it means you've got to pull up with me for an extra year. So that probably depresses you right at the start of the meeting. But the fact also is that we've got people in our church that work in the public sector. And it may be that you've gulped a little bit this week and thought, well, what's the implications for me at my hospital? What's the implications for me in terms of being someone that operates in the police force? And so we could go on. This week, we've lost our 300th serving soldier since the conflict in Afghanistan began eight, nine years ago. And there was that poignant graphic on the BBC News this week where the pictures were just sort of coming out, all 300 Row after row after row after row. And of course, if you times 300 by 10, say, just for immediate family across our nation today, there are three, 4,000 people grieving at the loss of their warrior heroes that have laid down their life for the course of freedom. I could go on. Have a wander up Bath Street, friends, any day of this week, and you'll see pretty quickly some despairing people. Those of you that get involved in conversations Around, uh, around work in the staff room, in the canteen and everything, we'll still find very easily some expressions of despair. Where's it all going? The nation's gone to the dogs, etc., etc., etc. And I want to say, friends, that God's well able, and we'll come to it in a moment, to turn things around. Yesterday, I had the joy of being in Sheffield at a meeting, listening to Professor Wayne Grudem. Wayne's a, a brilliant uh, uh, Christian, just a great man, great communicator, but he is a professor in theology. He's wrote a book called An Introduction to Systematic Theology. It's 1,282 pages thick. And he says that I could write a book on any of the subjects that I've written in that book. So he just goes on and on and on. But he, as an American citizen, began his talk by speaking about the blessing that this nation had been to him. He did a PhD at Cambridge University many years ago and uh, loves the nation. And he began to say, this is the nation, comment. This is the nation, comment. This is the nation. I tell you, friends, you could hear a pin drop in that room because this is the nation that has been amazingly blessed of God to do amazing things that have impacted 
the world. And yet today we may not feel like that. And as the Christian church here in the arena, Ilkeston, it's very easy for us on this Sunday morning, despite the glorious June weather, to let something ferment in our spirit that doesn't send us to hope, but causes fear and gloom to arise in our heart. I want to speak about fear this morning, friends. I'm not talking about the fear of the Lord, the reverence and respect of God, which is the beginning of wisdom. I'm talking about the fear that the Bible describes brings torment. That is not the kingdom of God. It is not of the Lord. Here's four things that fear always does. Fear inhibits the purposes of God over our lives. Fear undermines the promises of his word. Fear exaggerates the power of the enemy and always makes him look bigger than the almighty God. And friends, in comparison, he's tiny. And fear destabilizes our position in Christ. We are called to walk in heavenly places. That doesn't mean that you're going to float into the office tomorrow morning three foot off the ground. But it does mean that the calling of God in you is to be over things and not under them. And so we come to Psalm 42, not written by David, not a Davidic psalm, but written by the sons of Korah, a traveling minstrel group, descendants of the priestly tribe of Levi that used to draw people to the house of God and lead them like our great team this morning in praise and in worship. We're not sure whether the lament of Psalm 42 is a personal reflection from one of those people or it's on behalf of a friend. But here's what's taken place. Somebody, friends, has been taken away from what they want to do. And their staple diet is tears. Let me just read a comment or two from this psalm from the Message Bible. It says this, A white-tailed deer drinks from the creek. I want to drink God. Deep draughts of God. I'm thirsty for God alive. I wonder, will I ever make it? Arrive and drink in God's presence. I'm on a diet of tears. Tears for breakfast and tears for supper. All day long people knock at my door pestering. Where is this God of yours? Why are you down in the dumps dear soul? Why are you crying the blues? Fix your eyes on God. Soon I'll be praising again. He puts a smile on my face. He's my God. And what had happened friends is that this man that's portrayed in the Psalms... He's possibly thought was, had been taken prisoner or hostage. He's in exile. It gives some indication of that from the language that's used. He's away from where he wants to be and he's oppressed and sad. But more importantly than that, friends, verse 4 says that he's away from the house of God. Now in the Old Testament, there was great emphasis upon the house of God as a meeting place for the Lord. Remember in the wilderness, the first thing that God encouraged Moses to do was to build a portable house. It was called a tabernacle where where the priest could go into the holiest of all to represent the people and find forgiveness. Uh, There was was David. The first thing that David did when the the ark was restored to the center of, uh, of the nation was to build a house. It was called the tabernacle of David. It was on Mount Zion, the holy hill of God. It prophetically speaks, friends, into a praising, worshiping 21st century community. The first thing he did when he restored the presence was to build a house. He was then empowered to, to send his, his son Solomon to build the amazing Solomon's temple. What a house! 
And then we come to later in the Old Testament, we come to Haggai, a little prophet. We'll probably come to him on one of the weeks in the summer. A nobody. Nobody even knew about him. And the fact is the people had come back from exile. They said, no point building a house again. It's never going to be as good as Solomon's. And they got their hands in the pockets and were just building their own thing. And Haggai came to stir the people. He says, he says, don't be concerned about what you thought about in the past because the glory of the latter house is going to be greater than the glory of the former. And brothers and sisters, I thank God for all that he's done in the past in the history of the church. But here's the truth. The glory of the latter house is going to be greater than the glory of the former. The best is yet to be. The house. It did change in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God had a temple for his people. In the New Testament, God has a, a people for his temple. That said, there is a principle that runs right through the scriptures, friends, regarding the power of gathering. People coming together. There's a sense individually where Christians are house of God for God to dwell in. And Andy and John and Sharon and Christine. But when we come together and Sunday in our culture is still uh, the easiest day for us all to be able to come together in the house. That becomes together. It, It brings something friends. A dynamic, a blessing, a cohesion, a synergy, a unity that God is able to invade in the power of his presence. And I want to say today that this man was despairing because he couldn't go to the house. The days when he joined with the minstrel group to lead the people, as one translation said in festal song, were long gone. And his diet was tears day and night. And that puts into perspective the lie that goes around the British church, particularly at the moment, that drives me nuts And they'll say it, where people say, I don't need to go to church to prove I'm a Christian. Oh, yes, you do. Because we are a flock animal. We are called to gather together. We are not called to be individuals on our own, doing our own thing. We are called to togetherness. I know it's easy to tune in now to TV, to internet, to whatever you want to locate all around the world, rather than turn out. But God has called us to turn out. And when you get a revelation of the potential of the house, you wouldn't want to be anywhere else. And this guy got it. Because he was away from it, his friends begin to draw on his lament, fierce ridicule. People saying, where's your God? And downcast. What was the answer, friends? The answer was to put his hope in the Lord. And I want to root this in reality this morning. It may be that you've pitched up at church and your diet at the moment is tears day and night. It may be because of something personal in your life. It may be something that you look over your kids. And when I talk about kids, they get more complicated the older you get. So cheer up if you've got little ones. If you think the tears end at 13 or 14. It may be that you've got a cruel boss. And every night you come home from work. And you go to bed dreading the following day. I don't know what it is. But it may be that's where you're at. And God's got a great encouragement for you this morning friends. Say what any experience any of us travail. 
we can come out of it with our hope intact in the Lord. Let me say that hope is more than sunny optimism. Hope is not fortune to whim, superstition, chance coming up on the lottery. Hope is not a touch wood approach to life. Hope, friends, is far more substantial than that. Vine's Dictionary says that hope is a confident expectation regarding the unseen and the future. Hope faces the reality of situations. This church is not escapist and it's not fantasist. It's ordinary people rooted in a real world living out an incredible faith. But hope looks ahead. G.K. Chesterton says that hope means hoping when things seem hopeless or it has no virtue at all. Someone says that hope often begins in the dark knowing that the dawn has come, is coming. And Christian has stirred us again afresh with that prophetic word from the Gospel of John this morning to say stirring the waters. There were two or three things going around in my mind, my heart, my spirit that I've been waiting on the Lord for for a long time. I'm believing God you're going to stir the waters in those situations. Someone says that once you choose hope, anything is possible. Brothers and sisters, whether it's personally today in our own experience, whether it's a wider context of our family, our loved ones, our neighbours, our town, whether today you feel a bit gloomy about the state of the nation, wherever it is, whether you look across this world and think, what is God doing? And if in all of that you feel downcast, God says, put your hope in me. Put your hope in me. In me, because he really is the hope of all hearts. Very briefly, I want to give you six things regarding hope, and they will be brief. Number one, hope is foundational. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. It is closely married to faith. It builds upon our personal relationship with God in Jesus Christ. It takes us through every upcoming situation and circumstance. It is the grand truth of the Christian faith. It leads us from the beginning and the end. And if we will allow God to build hope into the foundation of our life, however insecure it seems out there, you will stand strong. It's foundational, friends, to the basis of going ahead with the Lord. Number two, hope's internal. 1 Peter 3.15, we're to give a reason for the hope that is within us, or that you have. You see, this week, there have been many of you around Arena Church that have impacted people, and you didn't even know it. Didn't even know it. And here's how it goes. Andy meets somebody in a meeting. He's just a Christian guy. He never mentions the faith. He's polite. He's courteous. He relates. He shows the guy he knows what he's talking about in a professional capacity. He buys him a coffee. The, the guy that Andy's met goes home. His wife says to him, had a good day. Yeah, really good day. Yeah, great. Met a guy called Andy Richardson. I don't know something about that lad. He doesn't even know it's being said. But something has come through Andy to impact somebody else. It's happening all across Arena Church this week. And then this guy meets this fellow four, five, six times. They're building a working relationship until this guy comes to a place of saying, Andy, what is it about you that's different? At that point, he's able to give a reason for the hope that is within him. He's never mentioned John 3, 16, the four spiritual laws. He's never bashed him over the head with a Bible. It's never been mentioned. But the kingdom of God has seeped out of him. And in a despairing world, hope's been transmitted. 
It happens with our kids. It happens with our young people. It happens with the elderly. Some of you are in particular contexts where you are ministering out hope. You've made a few quid on a deal as well. That's fantastic, isn't it? Hope. And the Bible says that we're to give a reason for the hope that is within us with gentleness and respect. You see, when it's in you, it comes out of you. Hope, friends, similarly to faith, cannot be visibly produced. It's not on a plate to be eaten. It's not to be hung around our net like a garland. But when it's in you, it's bound to come out of you. And in a frightened world, in a world where people have got so many issues, if you will live in the hope of God, you will inevitably impact other people. It's internal. And at the right time, it comes out of you to speak to others. Number three, hope's medicinal. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 3, everyone that has this hope, what hope? That we're going to be like him, Jesus, because we will see him as he is, does what? They purify themselves just as he is pure. God has called us, friends, to be a holy community. The word for holiness is hagios. It simply means to live differently. Not weird, not odd, not strange, but different. Different. In a dark world, light. In an ugly world, peace. In an unclean world, pure. That's the Christian faith. And we've seen, friends, that people have used all sorts of methods to get people to live a holy life. I want to tell you that Christian and me are not going around 24-7 doing a patrol on the church. We're not like Alex Ferguson, so if you've been where you shouldn't have been on a night, he knows by the following morning, he brings that player into the office. He's got people all over Manchester that tell him things. We don't live like that. We've got more than enough things to do, friends, without having to walk us all through that. You see, it's not our job. It's the Spirit of God's job in you to make you more like Jesus but he's passionate about a holy community. And friends, we've used all sorts of crowbars to get people to be holy. We were laughing a little bit on Wednesday night, uh, Tuesday night, when we dealt with the second coming. And the theology was appalling, friends. But for many years, the crowbar was, if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, and Jesus comes to tell you, well, you're not going. It drew a lot of commitment out of people. It was utterly wrongly motivated. It was theologically crass. But people did it. But we're more more mature than that. We're not going there. Here's what motivates people to be like Jesus. When they are gripped by the hope that one day they're going to see him. And they're going to be like him. And it's like a medicine to the soul. You see, when you get gripped by that, you deal with the twilight issues of your life. When you get gripped like that, you allow the darkness to be dissipated by light. When you get gripped by that, you want to deal with those life-controlling problems. When you get gripped by that, you want to change your attitudes. You see, friends, the medicine works. And we don't want to be a weird church, but we want to be a holy church. We really do. We really want to be a church, whether we're in the house or out of it, that live with a huge integrity that brings glory to Jesus. And hope will be the medicine for us to do it. Fourthly, hope is intentional. 
Romans chapter 4 verse 18, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. It's a reference to Genesis 5, 5, where God said to Abraham, look at, look, look at the stars. Abraham, if you could count all the stars in the sky of the universe, your descendants will be even greater than that. He was speaking, friends, about the redeemed community. He was speaking about the church. He was speaking about us. It seemed impossible. But against all hope, Abraham had hope. And you may look out over some impossible situations today that seem to be beyond hope, but they're not. See, at heart, I'm a bit of a revivalist. I love, I'm a bit of a romantic regarding the great stories of history. I'm believing that folks are going to walk past Tesco and fall flat on the face because the presence of God's so strong over the roads. And they're going to run to the arena and say, I need Jesus. You know, I'm believing Terry's vision that they're going to be queuing up down Bath Street, Terry, to get in the church when revival comes. You see, I'm sort of there. I want to believe that God's going to do something amazing, friends. My friend Andrew Smith spoke at our regional day in this church two weeks last Thursday. He spoke about the impact of revival upon the northeast of Scotland where he lived. 1921, there was the lowest stuff revival in Suffolk, Suffolk, Norfolk. That, eastern, that eastern part of the country, you know, that place where it's so hard to get to, even now. You know, trying to get down there, you know. And there was an amazing revival that took place. It was called the Re- Forgotten Revival because there's very little archive about it. And it almost went unnoticed. But God did amazing things. And what used to happen, friends, at one minute past midnight on, on, on Sunday, because the northeastern fishermen of Scotland, even though many of them weren't Christians, wouldn't work on the Lord's Day. So they waited till a few seconds after midnight into Monday morning. They would set sail. Many of them were fishing off the waters of East Anglia. They heard about the meetings. They came to the meetings. They got incredibly saved. They took the message back to the northeast. And God did a mighty work. And you can go to Cambourg and Fraserburgh and all of those places today. And the church attendance is against the south is huge. Even today. Andrew's grandmother was saved in the revival. And from one generation to another, God sees the blessing of God poured out I I got stirred afresh friends because I thought God do it again but you see in the psalm it says that very often there will be people saying where is your God literally this morning I'm driving down the bypass at Orsworth 820, 815, 820 there's all sorts of cars on that on that that, uh, car boots and if there's not a crash there soon there will be because folks are coming out right, left and centre it's chaos so go steady if you come past there. I, I, don't, I didn't sense anybody saying I can't get to the car boot sale because I can't get a lift. I, I can't get to the car boot sale because I'm too old. I can't get to the car boot sale because I was on the, on the booze last night. They're all there. All there. Packed. And the enemy said to me, where's your God? There's more people there than in the arena this morning. Where's your God? And friends, every time I talk about revival, the enemy says, Revival? There's 54 million people in the UK this morning that haven't gone to church. But I'm an Abraham. And against all hope, in hope I believe, friends, that God's going to say over this nation again, this nation did. This nation did. 
And if we'll believe, friends, against all hope, God can do something amazing and impossible. Fifthly, hope's inspirational. Ephesians 1.18 says, The hope to which you are called. You see, and I apologize, friends, on the behalf of the church generally, if you think that belonging to the church is a call to futility, pettiness, arguing, falling out, I'm sorry, if that's the impression that we've given to you regarding the church, I'm not talking about this church, I'm talking about the church. If we've given the impression that church is boring, you've been looking at the wrong church. I've had people come to me that haven't been Christians long. They've never been as busy in their life. They've never had so much on. They've never felt so motivated. It ain't boring, friends. It ain't boring. We've ran to pessimism. Here's a definition of a pessimist, by the way. It's a person that looks at a donut and all they can see is the hole. And, uh, you know. Hold the fort for I am coming. Jesus leads me on. Wave the banner back to heaven. In other words, Lord, beam us up, get us out of here. We don't know whether we can hang on for much longer. Well, that's a great expression of the kingdom of God, isn't it, friends? No, he's not called us to that. He's called us to the hope of our calling. Young people, today, God's got an amazing calling over your lives. It's not pessimistic, it's not negative, it's not boring. It's fueled by hope. It's fueled by hope. It's an assured future that we can confidently and expectantly walk into. Finally, friends, hope's eternal. 1 Corinthians 15, 19. He says, Paul speaking about the resurrection. There were people in Corinth that says, well, we don't believe in the resurrection. So in his unique way, he went zip, 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 zip. So if you don't believe in the resurrection, we are in serious trouble. And I mean big trouble. In fact, he got the verse 19 and says, if you've only got hope for this life, you are to be pitied. Or as the old translation says, you are of all men most miserable. Verse 19, verse 20. But Christ has been risen from the dead and becomes the first fruits of all that have slept. You see, you can't put it into words. But hope, friends, carries us into the eternal day. There are times in this life that we won't always see things clearly. Mike Hooten, the Baptist pastor from Queen Street, teaching in our little minister's fraternal on a monthly basis the other week, says it's like you're walking down the hallway of a house and you look through the, wi- the, the door and there's a sort of glazed window in the middle part of the door. You see somebody on the other side of the door. You're looking, but you can't make out who it is. You see him through the glass darkly. You open the door and say, ah, great to see you. Come in. And the reality is for every one of us, friends, that the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 that in this life, there are occasions where we look through the glass darkly. We look through the glass darkly, but one day the door's going to be opened into eternity. Say, so get it. Christians are going to say, I get it, God. When I went through that experience, that circumstance, I, I didn't, I got it. Got it. It's going to take eternity. My friends, it will take us into the eternal day. We've been dealing with eternal things on a Tuesday night over the last three weeks. It just shows us how temporal we all are at times. The challenge to live 
for eternity in a temporal world with an eternal perspective. Lisa said after the service this morning, friend, uh, to me, Christian, she says, this morning I was lifted into eternity. That's the power of the house. He takes us from the natural and the transient and the temporal into eternity. I've conducted a lot of funerals over the years, friends. I want to tell you there is no comparison between a Christian funeral full of hope and one where there's no hope. And the Bible says that we're not to sorrow or grieve, not never to sorrow, but we're not to sorrow or grieve or as other men who have no hope. There are people that have lost dear beloved ones around the life of this church. They are with the Lord. And one day, one day, friends, on the authority of the words, there's going to be an amazing, glorious reunion. We are going to be together forever with the Lord. Pour right into the Colossians, says Christ in you. The hope of glory. Three little illustrations to close. I was in a national leaders meeting on Wednesday. And uh, we began to pray and worship. And our national leader wasn't content for us just to go through the motions with that. So we began to just sing the song of the Lord. Stick 20 guys together that used to lead in church. The prophetic's going to flow out pretty quickly from somebody. And sure enough, somebody came with a word from Jeremiah 29, 11. Some of you know the verse very well. I know the plans I have for you. But he read it from the message. And you may want to check it off if you've got the message translation at some time over the week. But there's a little phrase in Jeremiah 29, 11 that says, I know what I am doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to give you the future you hope for. Brothers and sisters, God knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. He's got it all planned out. Last December, as you know, Sharon and me had the joy to go and visit our daughter Miriam in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. I was just saying that uh, we'd, we'd not had the video out for months and then fence came around the other week. We just had a great time. My sisters, one of my sisters come around a couple of weeks. She says, oh, I want to see the Australian thing. I said, oh, it'd be boring. No, no, we want to see it. And it was just a great time. But of course, as many of you know, on the second Wednesday of that trip, we learned that Sharon's sister had, had, had gone to be with the Lord and she really has gone to be with the Lord. And we had two or three days with our friends, Gavin and Glenda. And then the second Sunday into our trip in Australia, Christian's not checking up on me. He wouldn't dream, you know, of, of whether I got a church or not. We, we could have bailed out, friends. We could have said, Fuck, you know. But you see, Sharon and me believe that God does something in the house that he doesn't do anywhere else. And we live our life every day. So it's not a case of we live our life in church. But God does something in the house that he won't do anything anywhere else. We pitched up at that meeting. There was lots of thoughts going through our mind. We'd been on Skype with Linda and Sheldon. We were navigating the processes of, do we come home, don't we come home? And they were very insistent that we didn't. And, and it was the right decision in hindsight to do all of that. But that wasn't easy in that particular context, sharing, working all those things through. And we don't grieve as those that have no hope, friends, but there was a pain of loss. And we pitched up at the, at the, the house of God, Planet Shakers Church, Melbourne, right there in the heart of the city. And if I can say, just like the sons of Korah have led us this morning, the sons of Korah pitched up to lead worship to the Lord. And we began to sing a song, which is the title of this message this morning, The Hope of All Hearts. It's on the latest Planet Shakers album, if you want to go on Google or whatever. 
And uh, just an amazing sense, friends, of the power of the house. In the first service, I nearly didn't get through that bit, not because I've not navigated the issue with Brenda, but because I was overwhelmed again with the hope that we felt on that Sunday morning that determined us for all eternity. Then finally, Andy Ripley. Remember the rugby team the other week? Well, just a few days ago, Andy Ripley was a brilliant number eight forward for England in the 70s and 80s. And if you're as old as me, you'd probably remember him. A big bean pole of a guy. Great big stride. He was a great 400 metre runner as well. A complete non-conformist. If everybody else turned up in a tie, Andy wouldn't turn up in a, a tie. Just one of those guys with a great zest for life. Just the week before last, at 62 years of age, after a long battle with prostate cancer, he died. There's a piece in the press this week. And two or three years ago, he wrote a book how he was dealing with the whole issue of illness. I don't know whether he was a believer or not. My first impression would be to say that he wasn't. But I tell you what, friends, he's got some revelation on hope. And I'll read the little quote. He says, as... Ripley passed away surrounded by his wife Elizabeth and three children. His deeds and words live on, none more inspiring than those he wrote in a book three years ago, which said this. Dear we hope, we dare. Can we hope, we can. Should we hope, we must. We must because to do otherwise is to waste the most precious of gifts, given freely by God to all of us, so that when we die it will be with hope. And it will be easy. And our hearts will not be broken. We're going to keep praying for each other, friends, in this season of our national life. And Christian and me are impassioned about believing for the best in every one of us. Businesses flourishing. People being promoted. Great things happening. But it may be. It may be. That somebody's going to weep on your shoulder because they've been made redundant. It may be that somebody's got an issue in their life that seems utterly despairing and with no way forward. And friends, it's when we come to those situations that we can say to people, why are you so downcast? Oh, my soul, put your hope in God because Jesus really is, friends, whatever the situation, the hope of all hearts. Let's pray. Normally at this moment, uh, I'm back to Christian. He's far better at giving the invitation than I am. But just this morning, with his permission, I'd like us just to have a moment's quiet. And then I'm going to ask the Sons of Korah, our minstrel band, to lead us. We're going to sing that third song that was on the roster this morning afresh. And we're going to confess that we're going to let hope arise in our lives.